Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts. From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. Earlier this month, leaders from 137 countries met to negotiate over how to tax companies on their digital business. They had hoped to rally around a plan by the end of this year, but the pandemic and political differences have pushed that timeline into 2021. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, better known as the OECD, has offered up a two-pronged approach that would reallocate some of the profits of multinational companies to the individual countries where they have users and consumers. The plan would also create a global minimum corporate tax rate. The goal? To address how big tech companies are taxed and to replace a growing patchwork of digital tax measures that individual countries have already started to roll out. Bloomberg tax and accounting reporter Isabel Gottlieb joined me to talk about how the pandemic has interfered with those negotiations and what it all means for multinational companies anxiously waiting for a resolution. Isabel, welcome to Talking Tax. So glad you could join us today. Thanks so much. Give us a quick recap. The OECD held talks again this month, but those discussions skipped over some of the most contentious areas and didn't ultimately result in the global consensus that governments and companies alike have been hoping for. What ultimately came out of those talks? Yeah, that's right. So the plan, um, and it's the group of 20, it's G20 finance ministers that have been asking the OECD to do this. Um, the plan was for there to be a uh, consensus, an agreement on a solution in 2020. Um, that was supposed to happen in July. It got pushed back to October. Um, now we've been through these October meetings. Uh, 137 countries are involved in these negotiations. Um, and they couldn't reach an agreement. Part of that, the OECD says, is, look, it's just really hard to negotiate on Zoom. I mean, we, we've all been taking meetings on Zoom endlessly for months. Um, imagine 130-something country delegates all doing it. Uh, hard to see how you get anything done. Um, but there are also some pretty significant um, political uh, differences, sort of sort of differences of opinion um, on some big things that they uh, haven't been able to bridge. So what they do have um, is a blueprint for Pillar 1, which is the plan to reallocate profits um, from countries where companies might be headquartered to countries where companies have users and consumers, um, people interacting with the company. Um, and that's a way to give um, market countries, developing countries, countries like that, um, a little bit more of the of a, of a bite at multinationals profits uh, uh, to tax. And pillar two, the second part of the plan, um, is this plan for a global minimum tax, which is supposed to address um, tax competition between countries, as well as um, 
multinationals not just not paying enough tax. Um, so what we have coming out of these meetings are um, significant progress on what the OECD would describe as technical details. Basically, you're building this giant new framework um, and figuring out all the little pieces, uh, but still disagreement on some of the big issues. So the OECD is asking for additional feedback, right, in terms of, in hopes of simplifying some of the terms of the agreement, simplifying that framework. But I, I want to talk first about extending this debate again, pushing it into 2021. Why does it matter whether they reach an agreement? So um, it's not just an academic exercise. There's actually a ton that hangs on this. Um, the context for these multilateral negotiations is a brewing uh, tax and trade war that's been kind of boiling up over the years. Um, so a lot of countries are really unhappy with the way the big tech companies, which tend to be U.S. companies, are taxed. Um, and, and basically, according to the tax rules that we've had for decades and decades, a company needs to have some sort of physical presence to um, to meet taxable thresholds in a jurisdiction. And if you're just reaching consumers through online advertising, say, um, it's pretty easy to do a lot of business somewhere without really being taxable. So we've seen over the last few years a growing number of countries finding ways to get at that tax revenue um, through some sort of novel revenue-based taxes that target digital revenues. Um, and every time one of these measures gets passed, the U.S. says something really angry. Um, we're possibly on the brink of seeing U.S. tariffs on certain French imports thanks to France's digital tax. Um, <laughs> cast your mind to what might happen if, uh, if there's retaliation to that. Um, it's a scenario that OECD has actually envisioned in, in thinking about what would happen if agreement doesn't come. So uh, there's a lot riding on these talks. Um, a lot of countries saying, we'll do a digital tax if the OECD fails. The U.S. has made pretty clear, at least the Trump administration has made pretty clear, it's going to take um, sort of trade retaliatory measures as other countries find new ways to tax American tech companies. Um, and the OECD, if it comes to a solution, uh, if all these countries agree to a solution, all of that could be put to bed, potentially. It's a big if. Um, but that's what's driving all of this. And the longer we go without a solution, the more you start worrying about countries uh, losing confidence in the process, the more unilateral measures you might see, um, and the more this kind of potential global consensus is going to start possibly coming apart at the seams. And that's the concern behind all of it. I mean, it, the, the idea is really to have a level tax playing field, right? That, that the concern is that this patchwork creates, w what does this patchwork do in terms of companies? I mean, what is the risk if each individual country adopts different measures different different methods of taxing this type of digital business? It's a great question. So a, a company, um, if you were a tech company, for instance, who would find yourself um, 
uh, in scope of many of these unilateral digital tax measures, each country might have a slightly different way of deciding um, what services are in scope, what revenue is in scope, how you decide whether the pair of eyeballs looking at the ad that your platform placed is a pair of eyeballs located in France. France might come up with a different answer to that than another country. Um, technical details turn out to be important um, if you're a company you know, trying to comply with these. And when it's a few different taxes, I think they kind of manage um, what companies say, um, what business groups have been saying about this is the more of these one-off taxes there are, the more the compliance work just becomes enormous. Um, so companies like, and, and generally speaking, companies like there to be kind of uniform sets of rules that they can operate on under around the world. Um, and these unilateral measures, this patchwork of measures is definitely not that. So what are the big hangups among the negotiators, among these 137 countries that have been meeting and continued to negotiate? Yeah, so the OECD coming out of these early October meetings, the OECD said, we're just not even able to find agreement between countries on scope. So um, pillar one, which is the profit reallocation rules, um, there is still significant enough differences of opinion between countries about which companies and industries and business lines and breaking things down by level of profitability, all these questions should actually be in scope of the rules. Um, it's a it's an important question because the way you kind of build out answers to a lot of corollary technical issues depends on who's in scope. Um, so that's a really big one. And tied to that is this other kind of monkey wrench in the whole thing, which is that last winter, um, the U.S. came forward with a proposal to make Pillar 1, the profit reallocation rules, basically optional. Most other countries seem to think um, it's, it's, it's not going to be an acceptable idea. Um, there are kind of footnotes and side paragraphs um, in these OEC documents that make reference to, to other countries thinking this will never work if we do it. Um, the U.S. appears to be standing behind this as a kind of necessary condition for it to buy into Pillar 1. Pillar 1 won't work if the U.S. doesn't buy into Pillar 1. So however they work it out, it, it, this will have to be worked out for them to come to agreement. I mean, so there are really some really fundamental differences of opinion in terms of how this should go forward, what this should look like. Yeah, it it's funny because um, the documents, these blueprints that they release, um, are over 200 pages. So there's, and they're super technical, super complicated. So there's a lot that they have figured out um, and in great detail, but then at the same time as a lot of little things have been worked out, there's a few big things. Um, even sort of looking at pillar two, um, this is not technical, but it's political. Um, the rate hasn't been agreed to. Uh, it's not clear they've gotten around to kind of discussing that. 
in a serious way yet. There's kind of a big outstanding question about how the U.S.'s version of a minimum tax, how that would be treated under Pillar 2 because they're kind of doing similar things and companies, uh, U.S. companies might get kind of an out of Pillar 2, the OECD minimum tax. Um, But big issue, big complicated thing to figure out, um, political ramifications for what companies, what um, countries would agree to. Um, and and there are other kind of smaller technical issues that follow on from some of these big political ones. You mentioned that companies like certainty, they like the idea of uniform rules that they can follow and apply wherever they do business. I, I wonder, you know, 2020 has been um, best known for its uncertainty. It's been a very difficult year, right? I wonder how this adds to that uncertainty as um, companies are already struggling to plan for next year and in the year ahead. Um, How does this add to that burden for them? On the one hand, um, no one is in danger, I would say. Uh, I'm not a tax advisor. Uh, But companies are not in danger of having to abide by these rules in the very near future. Um, what the OECD agrees to, um, if these countries can reach agreement, would take um, on the scale of years to implement. There would be um, sort of widespread treaty changes, domestic legislative updates. Um, a lot would have to happen for these rules they're discussing to kind of come into place. Um, you know, the OECD is not global tax police, they can't kind of decree things, Um, countries will have to enact these changes through uh, rules and agreements that they have um, themselves. So on the one hand, it's probably not not something you'll have to comply with in 2021, but the uncertainty comes um, at sort of a more existential level, which is you might think the OECD is going to succeed um, and you're going to have to figure out in the years to come how to uh, adapt your compliance measures, your structures, etc. to to these changes. Um, or you might, with reason, worry that, um, that these talks, if they don't go well, will see an increase in those unilateral measures, that chaos I mentioned earlier. Um, it's more of a concern for tech companies, but um, other types of industries could have cause to worry um, if they end up falling within scope of measures to come. Um, so you'll hear people when they talk about this use fairly sort of apocalyptic language, and um, I think you know even the OECD will say uh, if our plan doesn't work, we're going to see chaos. So what's next for the OECD? Are they going to meet again anytime soon? I know there's a comment letter deadline coming up. Um, just what, what are you watching for? So um, immediate next steps, they're asking for feedback over the next couple of months from kind of companies, business groups, NGOs, interested members of the public who have thoughts on this. Um, and they're asking for things like, uh, here are a few ideas we had to simplify the way you calculate your effective tax rate for the purposes of Pillar 2. Which of these seems helpful? Um, so they're asking kind of both specific questions and general questions. Um, negotiations presumably are going to carry forward um, early next year. 
Um, they've said the middle of 2021 is when they're now targeting for agreement. Thank you, Isabel. It was really great having you with us today. Isabel Gottlieb covers international tax for Bloomberg Tax and Accounting. Thanks, Isabel. Thanks. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about today's podcast, reach out to us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. That's at T-A-X. Talking Tax is produced by me, Amanda Icone, and David Schultz. Kathy Larson is our editor. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Tax. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Those nine justices in Washington, they can be pretty hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. So check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.